I'm Clarence Waldron. Welcome back to Black News. But before we get started with tonight's guest, who's very special guest, I want to give a, a little uh, thank you and an acknowledgement to Howard Sandifer and his wife, Darlene Sandifer. They are the founders of the Chicago West Community Music Center. And this whole idea, this video podcast came from them. So with that in mind, let's hopefully have a, another lively conversation. Full disclosure, Thaddeus is a friend of mine, and I taught him never to interview your friends or family. <laughs> so we're breaking all the rules today. <laughs> all the rules today. But he is an acclaimed vibraphonist, composer, and educator. So let's get started. Thaddeus Toops. Yes, sir. How are Thank you. Bud? Yeah, Professor Waldron is good to see you. <laughs> <laughs> y'all. <laughs> let's start at the top how how did you get into the vibraphone where did uh, you talk about that in the very right. beginning so i actually started playing piano i started playing piano around the age of five um okay. i would go to my grandmother's house she had an upright piano and i was just making up my own songs you know i guess i felt called by the spirit um, but it was not moving her spirit. So they got me into piano lessons really quickly. So okay. I had more command of what I was doing. And because I was playing piano and kind of interested in music and performance, my elementary school music teacher, his name is Mr. Barry Elmore, who's still in touch with me. He still comes to my shows, actually. Um, but he recommended me for this program called the Chicago, uh, I'm sorry, the Percussion Scholarship Group which is sponsored by the Chicago Symphony Orchestra Association. Um, and that was weekly um, private and group percussion study with Patricia Dash, who's in the CSO, and um, Doug Waddell, who's in the lyric. So I got pretty intense classical music education starting, I guess, in third grade. Um, and then around middle school, two things happened. Um, that particular group, percussion scholarship group, was invited to perform at HASIC, which is the Percussive Arts Society International Conference. And the evening of our performance was vibraphonist Stefan Harris. And that was the first time I had ever seen live vibraphone. Um, it was one of the first times I'd even ever seen live jazz music and the way that he played and um, his expressiveness on stage resonated with me, especially in a classical music context where you, the expressiveness is meant to only be kind of what's on the paper or be very specific. Um, and even he showed me that the traditional even technique that I was using, I could embellish a little bit in the right context. Uh, so that kind of piqued my interest. And then I was at my great grandmother's house shortly thereafter. And I was playing with my little sister and cousins and looking through her stuff like the curious kid I was. And she had a Lionel Hampton CD, Lionel Hampton and his orchestra. And I didn't know who Lionel Hampton was at the time. I just saw a guy with a vibraphone and a bow tie. And if you know me, you know I love bow ties. So I played that album and 
I played Flying Home first and I listened to that song on repeat for the next couple of weeks. And after that, I was like, okay, maybe there's something to this jazz thing. Wow, wow. So now how did your music studies at Northwestern help you prepare for this show business world that you're in now? Right, and it's really cool because I did get accepted into you know a few colleges and I was torn about where to go. Northwestern really sold me when they created a major for me. They really, the music school really created a jazz vibraphone um, degree path that didn't, not only did it not exist at Northwestern, but to our knowledge, it didn't even exist really in the country at that point. Now there are a few schools who offer a vibraphone undergraduate degree, but at the time, Northwestern was the only one who was willing to kind of go, uh, you know, deep dive and create that for me. Um, and not only did I become a better performer and technician, but what I really learned about Northwestern was the business side. How do you market your shows? How do you make your own CD and make sure that everything is licensed and cleared and all of your originals are copyrighted? I always you know, got to give majors love and shout out to Victor Goins, who's the director of jazz at Northwestern because he really invested in all of us. He really invested in me and, and just really gave me a solid framework to figure it out. You know, he can't, nobody can give you all the answers, you know, any professor, right? But you and other folks were there to give me a solid framework to figure out okay, what exactly do I want to do and do I have the resources to do it? And I think Northwestern equipped me with those resources to turn my talent into a career. And the Northwestern network in Chicago is just, you know, almost unparalleled. So it's been, it's been a very interesting journey. Cool, cool. Now, at one point you said that there was a way that you could link your journalism studies with your music world. And right. Can you share that possibility of a link between the two? Right, and it's not the obvious link because a lot of people expected me to be a jazz journalist. And, right. Right. you know, there was a period of time where I was interested in that and making an attempt, but, um, you know, as a musician, that creates conflicts on multiple levels. One, I wanna be in the news. I want you to write about me. And if I'm a journalist, like you said, as a journalist, you can't really write about your friends and colleagues. So that created challenges. And then when you wanna write, when I'm being asked to write reviews about certain friends of mine who are jazz musicians, you know, you just wanna be careful because that's a personal relationship that I really care about. Um, so it became very challenging to actually pursue writing about music in that context. However, the connection of storytelling that you find in journalism and jazz, I think is where my journalism studies have become super relevant. Um, something that you had me doing in class was uh -oh, the different uh -oh. styles of story, right? We had to do a descriptive story or we did an inverted pyramid or we would do a profile and organizing information in that way, in a journalism perspective, actually informs the way I can organize a solo as a jazz musician. I can approach a song and say, I'm gonna do an inverted pyramid, which means I'm gonna start the solo maybe with like a bunch of harmonic information and alternate chord changes. 
And by the end, it becomes very finite and maybe it's one um, motif that I'm sticking with for a number of bars before I end my solo. Or I can take, let's say, a profile story is kind of designed where you give an intro of that person, you hear from them, you hear from a friend of theirs, <laughs> right? You know, I remember all of this. So as a soloist, I can actually frame my solos to say, okay, well, I'm playing a song that was composed by Bobby Hutcherson. Let's say I'm playing Little B's poem. Okay, I know that Bobby said that one of his major influences was Lionel Hampton, and someone else who was influenced by Lionel Hampton was Milt Jackson. So I can start this solo off with some Bobby Hutcherson. Uh, you know, he used a lot of uh, linear, parallel, melodic ideas. I can start the solo off with that. And then maybe at the second chorus of my solo, I can slide some of Lionel Hampton's swing bass feel on the solo. Maybe on the second end of the solo, I can get into Milt Jackson's blues sound. And by the third chorus, I'm back to Bobby Hutcherson. So it's just organizing information um, as a musician can be really challenging because we consume so much to attain mastery of our instrument. But for example, because I'm wired like a journalist to organize information in very specific frameworks, it becomes uh -huh. a little easier or at least manageable for me to, you know, take a solo and make it into something completely different. And it's organized and not just kind of sporadic, you know. Right, right. That's very deep. So you were you were listening, you were learning. <laughs> I was learning a lot, man. <laughs> Learned a whole lot. Yeah. Now, how much of what you do is show business? Show how much of it is business? You sort of mentioned the marketing, you know, learning, but how much is show, how much is business and what you do? Well, for me specifically, I think that one of my challenges is most of it is business. Um, I was complaining to some friends recently that sometimes I have to do business stuff and don't get to practice as long as I want to. I get to practice, but, you know, because, I am managing my own career. I'm my own booking agent. I'm doing, again, that's that journalism, being able to send out a press release and it's formatted correctly because I studied how to write. So hand, I handle all of my business myself. I get help sometimes. I'll call my mom and dad or sister if you know I really need some help and they're great for what I need. Um, but I do manage all of my business affairs. And honestly, as an artist, that's where a lot of the grunge work is. You know, once you're on stage and you're playing, honestly, most of us pursue a level of musicianship that the general population does not care about. <laughs> They're just here to go to a concert and have a really good time. And if you sound decent, you know, they're gonna be happy. As artists, we want to pursue the highest level of musicianship, right? But generally speaking, me practicing an extra three hours is not going to make a difference to an audience member. It's just for me. But that business part is the world of difference between having five audience members versus having 50 audience members. If I have a show, I have a, um, I forget when this is going to air, but I'm going to be at the Madison Jazz Festival on June 16th, and I'll be in Detroit cliff bells of father's day weekend and what i'm realizing is that you know in chicago i have a base right but to really sell out a show in detroit that's a lot of work 
for someone who has, I'm an experienced musician, but my audience is obviously still increasing nationally. So it's not just depending on Facebook or a mailing list. I have to find the jazz circles in Detroit and let them know, find friends that I know and really leverage them to say, okay, invite a few, invite a bunch of people and maybe incentivize them with their admission being free if they bring five people or something like that. So that's just that business side and being able to be creative and again, think differently is imperative, at least for my career. Wow. Okay. So you do all that thinking yourself. I mean, there's no promoter who would come up with that gimmick. Let's try this. No. So Not you really. Like I said, I have mom and dad, they'll throw some ideas back and forth, but no promoter, no manager, no, you know, the music industry can be a little ravenous at times. And if you're not careful, you can definitely end up in precarious situations. I'm really blessed and fortunate to have a lot of mentors who are older than me and been doing it for a while. And all of them unanimously are like, that is whatever you're doing, just keep doing it. It might be a lot of work. You might be stressed. You know, you might have to make an extra few of those phone calls, but in the long term, it's going to be very beneficial. And even so far, it's, you know, it pays off financially in other ways for me to have those relationships with the venue owners or with the radio hosts, you know, versus having to depend on this other person who has all the connections. And if we fall out, then, you know, I'm going to have to <laughs> do what I'm doing right now anyway. So, <laughs> okay. All right, so talk to me about how you put together a show, like the opening number, the closing number, just any idea, talk to me about that, that process. Well, believe it or not, the greatest impact that journalism has had on me has been my shows and creating a story arc through my shows. A lot of the folks that come to my shows, they enjoy my playing, but okay. I hear a lot of comments about, we loved your narrative in between your songs, or history you gave about Chicago jazz or history about the vibraphone that we didn't know about. And I like to interweave that into my shows because I feel like that's part of my brand and what I represent. So sometimes I'll do themed shows right out for a while before the pandemic, I was doing a Valentine's day show every year. And so obviously the theme of that is you wanna feel good. So everybody has a good Valentine's night. Sometimes it could be a show I'll do vibraphone tribute shows where I'm just talking about the history of vibraphonist and the vibraphone and giving random tidbits that I've learned either through my studies or just meeting people that could tell me something about, you know, Johnny Lytle that you can't find online. But my shows are very much designed to have you leaving feeling good and feeling like you learned something right because the music oh, is important okay. and everybody hopefully is going to put on a good show and for me that's like obviously number one if i'm not doing a good show i shouldn't be playing but in addition to doing a good show i want you to leave feeling like okay this that this cat that not only can play but he actually knows the history he knows what's going on so his playing is informed by the tradition and not just Oh, he's talented and can play, you know, it's very much like, oh, he chose this song because it has specific resonance in this place and time. Yeah, yeah. When you were out there in Homewood, I guess it was last year, my buddy yeah. was there. He was totally impressed with you saying what you're saying, the knowledge of the music and telling the stories, you know, so, yeah, it reaches cool. people. 
Yeah. That's awesome. That's the goal, man. Serious. Because yeah. you know, jazz as a tradition is is often uh uh distorted. You know, our history in the music has been ambiguous. There's always been this tension about ownership of the music, ownership of the word jazz. You know, it's always this contentious thing with jazz. Right. Right. Um and I think that a lot of people are misinformed about the history and not necessarily the people. A lot of people know the people, but they don't know how the people interacted with each other to kind of create this, this American art form. It's the American art form. You know, it's everything it's else that we love in America comes from jazz, everything. So the foundation, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the foundation. And and I it's a lot of young people that I encounter, not only my peers, but also as a teacher who haven't even listened to music that was created before 2000, you know, 2000, really, they don't, they're not checking out Charlie Parker. They're not checking out Lester Young. They don't, you can mention, there are tenor saxophonists that worship John Coltrane that have never even heard of Lester Young, that have never heard of Cannonball Adderley. So wow. it's like, you, you, while I appreciate your love for Coltrane, you're missing the history. And if you don't know where Coltrane was at and where he came from, that's why, you know, I think today it's a lot of math music because a lot of folks don't know the lineage of the music in order to innovate. They're just kind of replicating something that was already, you know, created. And my goal is to continue to move jazz forward and to continue to innovate in jazz and create new spaces and new sounds because it's such an infinite language and music wow now where are you teaching aren't you a teacher in yes Chicago? sir all right so tell me about that yeah fortunate that i'm actually kind of like a, a serial master classer <laughs> there are a couple of few uh elementary schools like mount vernon or peary which is like chatham area um where i go in for an hour a day to teach drumline third grade through eighth grade that I have where I'm teaching them drumline rhythm some of them have played drums before and never had lessons some of them have never been exposed to music and this is actually their first parlay in music creation and uh practice um okay now recently uh you know it's the end of the year now we've had graduations and end of the year shows and there's a particular eighth grade class over in Mount Vernon and you know, as a teacher, you all you know better than I do. You always have that student or those classes that really kind of define your identity as an educator because they might have pushed you or challenged you in ways that you weren't anticipating, and you all both grew as in a result. And I think that's what I experienced with that particular class. You know, there was a lot of class between the two of us when I first started. They were just generally resistant because they're like 13-year-olds, and you know, preteens are just ready to fight anyway. Um, right. But as the year progressed, I mean, we got really, really close as a class. And wow. I'm, I'm, not only did it inform me as a teacher, it just informed me as a human. You know, I feel like being a teacher makes you a better person because you just understand people in a different way. So Now, when you come to perform for us the Columbus Park show, that's July 24th, I believe. What can we July expect? 22nd, July 22nd. 22nd. July 22nd. All right. See, I knew it was. All right, so I was like, what can we expect? What can Man, we so I'm excited about that show. One, because I'm bringing 
Chicago, all Chicago band. That's been a real thing of mine because nobody plays like Chicago cats, man. Like as somebody who plays around the world now, you can always tell when somebody is from Chicago because there's just a different way that we play everything. Um, but at this particular show, I'm really digging into a piece of Chicago history that I don't often play. You know, a lot of times where I'm playing shows, it's what's called straight ahead, traditional swing jazz. Well, with this show, we're getting a little more experimental and then a little more creative um, with our music in terms of specifically channeling the AACM and the whole creative music movement that was okay. started here in Chicago and continuing. Um, so there will be some straight ahead. There'll be some other okay. genres, but we're blending them together in a way that is just this kind of musical lodge of Black music history. And I'm really, really excited for that show. Sounds good. So what's next for you now? Just looking ahead. What are your dreams? What are your uh, hopes? Honestly, you know, there was a point in time where I say, well, I want to get a Grammy by this age and I want to be touring the world by this age. And it's like I'm touring and I'm and I'm playing. And and then you realize very quickly that the Grammy is cool, but that's not why I'm doing it. You know, the awards are nice and to be recognized in that capacity is great, but that's not that's not what I'm in it for. Some people are in it for that and it's no shade, but I just like people to come to my shows and be happy. If you came to my show and then you came again, that means I did something right, you know, for you to come okay. back and continue to support. So what's next for me is hopefully just to keep doing exactly what I'm doing. And if every show I just convince one person that they like what I'm doing, or I have one person come up to me and say, I didn't know that about the vibraphone, or I get those stories of like, man, you played a Lionel Hampton song that I haven't heard since I was six years old. And I, my father just passed and me and him used to dance to that in the living room. Like that's mm. the story mm. that I live yeah. for. Man. So that's, yeah. that's everything for me. If I just get that for the rest of my life, I'm cool. Yeah. 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 All right. Anything else on your mind? Anything else you want to share now that um, we got you here? One, it's good to talk to you. I'm really grateful yeah. you know, that you always are just supportive. I remember when I was a student of yours and you told me about the profile you read, you wrote about Winton Marsalis way Ooh. back in the day. And we got yeah. to talk about him and you just, you know, kind of got me hip to different musicians that I didn't know about. And that was really helpful for me because I was able to study their careers and see what they did that I liked and see what they did um, that I didn't like. So I want to thank you for that, you know, on this platform, obviously, I'm just very wow. grateful for that. And um, yeah. I like I, we were talking about the link between jazz and journalism. All I want to yeah. say is, is there anybody out there listening who's interested in jazz and wants to write about it? Chicago needs some good jazz journalists. Um, you know, we've had a few over the years and I think Howard Reich might've been the most consistent, but he's retired. And there's really a void now because there are not a lot of young writers who are informed enough about the history of jazz, specifically in Chicago, that can write effectively about a concert or about a show. And knowledgeable mm -hmm. enough about how Chicago jazz is distinct from every place else, right? It's really easy to hear a musician and compare them to somebody that you know in New York. And because it doesn't sound like New York, you reject it. But Chicago scene is like a whole different sound. 
And so I hear cats from New York like, y'all wouldn't be able to hang in Chicago because we playing way deeper stuff. So I just want to encourage, I can't do it. I've, I've tried and there will be some things that I write about, but being a jazz journalist is not, I want to, I am a jazz musician. And I love being okay. a musician and I never want to let that go. But if there is anybody listening who is inspired by this music and they are a writer, do it because as the scene, we need folks who can be advocates for the Chicago. What's happening in Chicago right now is like not happening anywhere else in the world in terms of our jazz scene. It's really burgeoning. And I just wish we had time for me to talk about all the incredible artists and scenes happening here in Chicago. But we need advocates for us, man, because it's my opinion that Chicago has already returned as the jazz capital of the world is just nobody's writing about us nobody's talking in those okay. sort of capacities you know so i'm gonna keep doing what i can i'm gonna keep playing and putting on amazing shows and getting folks in the loop about what's happening in chicago jazz i'm gonna be playing all throughout this summer in different locations if you follow me on social media at that is tukes where you can find me you can see where i'm playing i have some really really cool stuff lined up um and through me and other folks, you can get to the rest of the scene. My, I have built a career on connecting with musicians throughout the city. So historically in Chicago, the segregation in the city reflects in the jazz scene. You know, it's north side cast that never come to the south side and vice versa. So I've right. intentionally created situations where you got these north side, south side, west side cats all playing on gigs together. And I've seen folks hire people on gigs because they met on my gig. That, to me, that's what makes me happy, you know? So I'm gonna keep doing that and doing what I can to advocate for the scene, but we need, I need some help. <laughs> okay. I need some help. Right. So anybody right. out there who's trying to do it, you know, jump in, cause we're ready for you. All right, very well said. So thank you very much. I appreciate your time. Very thank nice. You, very good to see you. This has good been fun. You, man. <laughs> I'm so oh, glad you made the catch up, man. Yes, indeed. And I'll be at your show. I'll be oh. there in July. Awesome. Yeah. I'll be looking yeah. forward to seeing you, sir. <laughs>